Today is January 17th, 2022. Happy Monday. You are listening to the Happy Market Research Podcast, and I'm Jamie Brazil, your host with a little bit of a head cold. Support for the Happy Market Research Podcast and the following message comes from Michigan State's Marketing Research Program and HubUX. I've done hundreds of interviews with today's top minds in market research. Many of them trace their roots to Michigan State's Marketing Research Program. Are you looking for a higher paying job to expand your professional network and to achieve your full potential in the world of market research? Today, the program has tracks for both full-time students and working professionals. They also provide career support, assisting students to win today's most sought after jobs. In fact, over 80% of Michigan State's marketing research students have accepted job offers six months prior to graduating. If you are looking to achieve your full potential, check out MSMU's program at broad.msu.edu slash marketing. WX is a research operations platform for private panel management, qualitative automation, including video audition questions and surveys. For a limited time, user seats are free. If you'd like to learn more or create your own account, visit hubux.com. This is episode 503, and according to Spotify, Stay by The Kid Leroy and Justin Bieber is still the number one song across the globe. All right, let's get to this week's news. On January 12th, consumer experience software provider Ask Nicely has raised $32 million in a Series B round of funding. <laughs> that is a hell of a lot of dough. What are they going to do with all that cash? I have to ask myself. Well, whatever's left over after they are done toasting with their 1959 Dom Perignon, Ask Nicely says that they will use the funds to expand their frontline success platform. Now, of course, they're going to be investing in technology. That's kind of a no-brainer. But the press release also offers a very specific objective and key result for the use of funds. Specifically, they will double their headcount across their offices in Portland, Auckland, and Amsterdam. Now, get this. There are three things that are really important for us to note here. This company just got a truckload of money. What are they going to do with it? They are going to double their headcount. So if they have 100 people, they're going to have 200 people in these specific locations. There's three things that pop out for me. The first, they are specific about where their headcount is located. So why is that so important? I think because there is intrinsic benefit to working physically beside your peers. Now, many of us have grown accustomed to the flexibility that COVID or shelter in place has offered us. But when you are in an office, it is far easier to have a conversation and build relationships and learn from the people around you. However, this is not normal today. In fact, most companies are supporting everybody working remote because employees are just simply unwilling to go back into the office full time. But I believe that companies that require some weekly in-office work will ultimately outperform their competitors. Secondly, does the world need another CX platform? In short, I believe the answer is 100% yes. And there is a lot of room for additional players to enter this market. 
This is a space that is growing at over 25% CAGR, which means that demand is outstripping the supply. I would not be surprised if there are even larger investments coming from venture capitalists in this space in the next five years to companies that we have not even heard of. Thirdly, $32 million. That is a lot of dollars. And they are spending it to hire top talent. If Google and Microsoft have taught us anything, talent trumps everything. I had the opportunity to chat with Aaron Ward, the CEO of Ask Nicely, about the CX space and their use of funds. Here's that interview. When you think about the growth in the CX sector, I go back like two years ago, I saw an interesting report by um, one of the top three, I, I think it was Accenture, that said the CX category is expected to grow by a 23 to 25% CAGR year over year for the next five years. What sort of growth are you seeing in the CX sector and what do you attribute it to? Well, we're certainly seeing growth. And I guess our point of view, which when we first started was probably a lot more contentious than it is today, is that customer experience is a growth driver. You know, typically in, in businesses, we typically think about growing them with great marketing and great sales. And what it turns out nowadays is, and there's no feat of genius here, is that customers expect you to actually deliver upon the promise. And so if you can do that, that is, if you can if you can deliver an experience that matches the expectation, then your customer is is more inclined to come back for more and they're more inclined to recommend you to others. Now, again, I'm not sharing anything that's particularly new to the world in those two statements, but the point is that those things, repeat purchases and referrals, those are the, the modern levers of growth in business. So if we think about the, the job of a CMO nowadays, they're much more attuned to turning the knob for repeat purchases and referrals as a way to really accelerate your growth because those are the flywheel metrics. And I think that's what's really driving the importance of customer experience today as opposed to uh, you know, a romantic belief just in doing the right thing for customers. I love that like framework. Ask Nicely is the name of the business. How do you, how do you connect the name to what you do? Well, I think that some people look at, I guess, the, the first generation of customer experience platforms, which are really just survey platforms, right? They are they're these platforms that send out big, long surveys that nobody likes to answer. And then as a result of that, you get back a, a trickle of responses because, again, people don't like to answer it. And then the, the job of customer experience platform is to try and analyze those and try and find some signal in there. I guess our whole point of view here was that if we could find a nicer way of asking for feedback, because we all have an opinion about an experience that we've just had with the brand, and we're happy to share it if that experience is a, you know, of sharing it was straightforward. And that's the, that's the belief behind us nicely. The other angle on that is, um, you know, I was always taught by my mother growing up that if I wanted something in life that I did, you know, that I need to learn how to ask for it and to ask nicely. And that's a sort of a foundational belief that, uh, that I've always run with. Ah, oh, interesting. Raised by boomers. <laughs> so use of funds. Uh, you got a lot of money. Your press release said that you'll be investing in technology and people. Specifically, you'll be doubling headcount at specific locations. I've not seen it re a press release have such a clear utilization of funds attributed to it. Why did you decide to include that? And, and what's your expectation of the outcome? Well, I think if we start with the outcome, so our belief is if you're a service business that lives or dies on the strength of your customer experience, that fastest and most efficient route to improving that customer experience is through your frontline staff. And so we've built a product that's designed to coach and motivate frontline employees and businesses that have and rely upon thousands of them. Now, it turns out that this is something that's reasonably new to the market. In fact, in our view, it's, a, it's an entirely new class of software. And if we're going to 
plant our flag as, as the rightful heir to the throne, I guess, for that new class of software, is that doesn't come cheaply. It's not something that we can nickel and dime. We're going to need to bring a level of urgency and audacity and swagger to that challenge. And that's really what's behind the fundraise that we've just done. Now, of course, how do we put that into you know those those words into action? Well, we do it through people because that's what we believe in. That businesses are are, are built through people, and that's where we get to the math of of doubling the workforce that we have. And so we'll, we'll do that both in our our product and engineering teams, and also our go to market teams in the markets that we're that we're present in around the world. When thinking about best in class, you know, creating a best in class experience for your customers, obviously. People are part of are central part of that, right? They're the, as you articulated, the front line and the middle line and the back line, really. In that framework, you also said that you'll be staffing in specific locations. What is your thesis or point of view on work remote versus work in an office? Yeah, well, isn't that the question of the day? If we think about life, I guess as we do today, you know, pre and post pandemic, you know, pre pandemic, we we're very intentional about building in office cultures of the markets that we operated in those locations being New Zealand, where my accent comes from, and where the business was born, Portland, Oregon, which is where I'm based today. And that's where we have the majority of our customer facing headcount and also Amsterdam and in Europe. And I guess our point of view here is if we are pioneering a brand new class of software, we're effectively building a business for which there is no blueprint and for which the the answer is something that's going to be crafted and discovered over a period of time. And the the path to achieving that has got to be through a level, has got to be through feedback. You know, it's a little bit trite, right, because our product is built around feedback. But quite seriously, we need to have a level of collaboration and creativity and connection amongst our people that really fosters that search for the truth. And we think that's going to be tough doing that solely through Zoom calls. And so we are still motivated to find a way where our people can come together regularly and again, drive that connection, uh, collaboration and creativity. And so we're still vested in trying to build out teams substantially in the same geographic locations where the business is born. We also think that it might be an interesting point of difference for people who are thinking about their next role, where today the, the norm is fast becoming this idea that we are going to, you know, solely work from your kitchen table and spend your day on a, in a, in a Zoom interface. Whereas what we think is, is uh, rather than defining your work experience around where you do it, whether it's work from home or work from an office or some sort of hybrid thing, increasingly what we're trying to define is, is a mode of working where it's characterized around the experiences that you have while you're doing it. And so we're doing a lot at the moment to really invest in creating what we're calling an experience-first culture as a way to differentiate Ask nicely as a place to work from you know, the other options that people have today. Very interesting. Thank you so much for joining me on the Happy Market Research Podcast. Yeah, happy to. It was good fun. Thanks. As little as 10 years ago, very few venture capitalists or private equity firms viewed consumer insights as an investable space. But today, the nerd in the corner that was hoping somebody would come up and talk to them is now the hot dude or dudette or whatever in the middle of the dance floor. Line them up. Because daddy brought his dancing shoes. <laughs> oh boy, I tell you, I am a little bit loopy because of the cough medicine, I think. Speaking of dancing, have you seen my dancing video on TikTok? No, because I'm still editing it. How is that for a segue on a recent post in our MRX Pros Google group? Neil, the managing director of the ABM Partners, asked, 
I just completed a series of interviews for a project. I want to create a video report. Does anyone know of a free video editing software I can use to edit our Zoom videos? So there's a couple of things here, right? One, they're using Zoom to conduct their one-on-one -on -one interviews. Zoom is just blowing up in the qualitative space. This isn't news, but it's blowing up in the utilization of qualitative because it's just simply so easy to use for both moderators, but more importantly, participants. Everybody from my six-year-old to my 84-year-old uh, father is using Zoom on a regular basis, still, even post-COVID. So it's part of the cultural technology stack in our ecosystem or our lives that is enabling us to maintain connectivity. Why wouldn't we as researchers use that natural, that natural framework? So uh, MRX Pro Jamie J said that she uses OpenShot Video Editor. They describe their platform as handcrafted with love and 100% free and open source. We have two additional contenders and an honorable mention with a narrow use case. Lila, founder and chief insight officer at Upward said, we use Reduct Video. While it's not free, it's not that expensive and it's really fabulous. Otherwise, we've used iMovies in the past, but you definitely have to do a lot more work. So to me, it's a no brainer to spend a bit on a tool to increase our productivity. I did some research on this tool, Reduct Video. What I really like about it is its ability to automatically transcribe your recordings and make them easy to search for keywords and phrases. For me as a market researcher, this is highly attractive as it allows me to get to highlights through keywords and searching those. So it's a big time saver. Check it out, reduct.video. Lastly, uh, Matt Seltzer said, we've used DaVinci Resolve in the past. It's easy to use and free. As for the Zoom part, we just export the video from Zoom and upload it into the software. So it doesn't support Zoom specifically, but it works with the MP4, which is what Zoom exports. As for Hub UX, we use Adobe Premiere for large-scale video projects. However, more and more of our videos are being edited in TikTok's editing software. The mobile-first vertical alignment works surprisingly well in presentations as it allows for additional content on your slides. As more and more researchers are using video to express consumers' points of views, intentions, feelings, and motivations, I expect tools will continue to evolve. Maybe even one day, we'll be able to upload our tens of hours of video from one particular project into a platform that will combine natural language processing and facial recognition of emotions and generate a highlight reel for us. Wouldn't that be freaking great? Probably worth $32 million in this humble researcher's opinion. For our last segment, here is my interview with Arun Bagchi on how does CX help organizations become more consumer-centric? The idea on this particular series is really to bring in perspectives from customer experience, user experience, and market research on how these disciplines converge to focus on the larger goal of customer centricity. There's a Watermark Consulting report, which I cite fairly frequently. They did analysis of the Fortune 500. In that analysis, they identified that companies that were consumer-centric at the point of decision, they actually outperformed the index, however, by 45 points. However, the, the really impactful point here is that companies that did not invest in consumer centricity underperformed their peers by 75 points. 
as of today, everybody knows that you have to put the customer in the center of your decisions or you will face market irrelevancy and potentially economic extinction. So how are you supposed to ensure that you are putting the customer in the center of your decisions, especially with the evolution of CX, UX, and market research? To that end, I have assembled a set of interviews. Today, our guest is Aruna Bagchi. She is the lead of Global Consumer Insights at OnePlus. Aruna, welcome to the show. I am very excited about the opportunity to be able to chat with you today. But before we jump in, I was hoping you would be able to provide us a little bit of context. Tell us about your parents and how they inform what you do today. Both my parents were teachers. My mother was a teacher in a school and my father was a professor in one of the leading colleges in India offering MBA programs. And he was a professor of marketing. So he has really shaped a lot of my thinking in that sense. And your mother, she was the primary caregiver? She was the primary caregiver. Yes, yes. It was a joint effort. Yeah. It's interesting. Were you raised in Dallas where you're located now? Uh, no, I was raised in India. Okay, got it. And then when, how old were you when you moved over? I was 23 when I came to the U.S. Customer centricity, we know that it is it directly impacts customer satisfaction, which obviously has a <laughs> is a leading indicator of sales. How does CX help organizations become more customer-centric? What is important with CX is not only to gather feedback around how the organization is doing, but also building some tactics around, you know, how to, you know, learn from that and continuously improve, right? And that is where I think a lot of organizations kind of fall short. Um, it's not just running a survey and then leaving it at that and saying, okay, I want to track. Um, I've, I've worked in Fortune 500 companies where you would have like the the, the CMO and the leadership of, of different country managers, their bonuses were tied to the NPS score, but uh, it didn't help because they didn't have a program in place on how to mine this data to then improve your NPS, right? So that is where I think organizations really need to work on. Uh, for example, you know, I work in a smartphone company called OnePlus. Okay, so if a customer has a problem that the phone heats up and we found out that, yeah, there is a software update that we can send and that can address this problem, right? Now, if a customer has actually reached out to the organization, but you haven't really, you know, you've addressed it for that person, but there are several others who have actually not come back and complained about it. So then how do you reach them, right? So that is where if you have like a regular system of checking in, then you can kind of transform the customer experience. That is super interesting, especially relative to the phone example and being able to reach the customers that aren't complaining. I think about how many NPS studies I've done, and I bet you most of them are, by done, I mean like participated in it as a customer. Most of them are probably done in isolation, meaning they're getting the feedback, but there isn't like a closed loop scenario or opportunity inside of the actual system. I know that because sometimes I have bad experiences. And when I voice that in this study, I don't actually get anything back. So, when you think about how companies are institutionalizing CX, are, is that done through software? Is it process? Is it culture? Like, how does that fit 
in a successful company? It is a bit of all the three that you talked about, right? It starts with culture, right? We need belief from top down on the fact that customer experience is really, really important. And that needs to come from leadership and percolate down right down to the last employee, right? So that's the first step. Once that culture is built in, the next thing is really building a process. And that is, again, where a lot of companies fall short. So you may do this survey and you may track the NPS score, but unless you have a closed loop mechanism built in, it's what we called as the EFM, right? The Enterprise Feedback Mechanism System. So you have to have that system put in place So what happens is there are companies, you know, market research or companies that are now offering that in a big way, Medallia comes to my mind, where they have really transformed the whole system because what they have now done is there is an app that right from the CEO to the last employee of the company, they have that app and they get a continuous record of how that NPS is tracking and we talk about NPS at different levels. You have NPS at a relationship level, and then you have transactional NPS. So every little transaction that I have with the company, right? How is that experience kind of working out for me? And they track that. And let's say I'm a detractor. I've given a three immediately and a ticket would be raised And my, um, you know, if this customer belongs to a certain group, the group manager would get an alert saying, hey, something, you know, there is a detractor, right? So then the person who's in charge of the ticket has to really get to the bottom of what is wrong. And when they are talking to that customer, you know, through systems now, we can actually see what is the relationship that customer has. You know, he could be someone who's bought your smartphone, for example, for the last three times, or he could he could be a new consumer. So uh, the problems of the new consumer are slightly different. You know, maybe he needs a little education. So you kind of are able to see what product he has bought, when has he bought it, and then understand the context behind his issue And then you can resolve it. And it's only when you have gone and closed the ticket, is it off, right? So that way you have kind of created a system to ensure the customer's challenge or problem is resolved in a very methodical way. And then this opportunity where you can have a ticket or an issue that's persistent, right? Where after the ticket's closed, they get a customer gets another (laughs) satisfaction survey and they may say, no, I'm dissatisfied, in which case, boom, it, it kind of maintains that persistent state and this constant feedback loop is something that I think, you know, when, when we frame out modern businesses, all modern businesses are going to require that customer centricity is at the center of their decision making. And if it isn't, it's hard for me to see a path, how it'll be successful. And so to that end, when you think about like common mistakes, what are some common mistakes that companies are making uh, when they try to be more customer centric? I think the biggest challenge at a leadership level is companies are thinking of it as an expense, right? And I look at it as an investment because it's a no brainer. You know, the cost of retaining a consumer is you know, so much cheaper than cost of acquiring a new consumer, right? So moving away from that mindset that putting this CX system in place is actually an expense is the very first 
kind of change that needs to happen at the leadership level. And I have kind of personally struggled with that across multiple organizations, right? That thinking doesn't exist because it's a huge investment. You know, this closed loop feedback system is not something that's cheap, right? So a lot of companies, you know, they step away from it just because they look at it as a huge, you know, expense upfront. Yeah, for sure. But I would think that part of your ammunition that you use in order to get them over that mindset is the ROI with having customer stickiness and, you know, repeat customer utilization and decrease of churn. And then also the potential for like the viral coefficient to improve where if I have a really good experience, I'm more likely to be an advocate as opposed to neutral or detractor. Right. The the, the challenge is, you know, marketing more than often is more interested in attracting new consumers, right? And that's where the glory and the glamour is. So most of your budget then goes towards huge marketing spends to bring in more people into your brand. And, you know, the relative amount that you spend to retain generally becomes a little thin. I am right now, for example, in an organization which is really new in some ways. It's just about seven years old. And in terms of market share, Across the globe, it's not more than 10 or 20%, right? So there is so much of that pie that you can go after. And that is far more exciting than really spending energy to retain your current customers. Right. Yeah. And, and that such a, it, it, so that kind of like begs the question in terms of who ultimately inside of an organization should own CX. Is it a marketing function or does it happen underneath operations or... Yes, it, it works with operations and I think that is where the problem is, right? Mm. Um, marketing is the more glamorous uh, right. team or group that takes center stage and this is not under their purview. And I right. think that's where we need to kind of really revisit. And CX can happen only when you have cooperation and understanding across the organization. It's not something that can exist in silo. Unfortunately, right. right now it exists in silo. That is where the fundamental uh, challenge is. It's such an interesting evolution because even five years ago, well, you know, eight years ago, companies really didn't, hadn't solidified a CX strategy, right? And it hasn't been until really the last five years where it's become like really visible that this is critical for uh, mod- modern businesses, which to your point, <laughs> creates a lot of disruption in terms of where it should fit organizationally. Right. All right. So let's pretend you and I are starting a brand today. What is the one thing that we should do to ensure that we have a customer-centric company? Bringing that voice of customer to life is very important. I think the two pieces that are important in this puzzle is employees, right? They should be part of the organization in a way where they are the ones who are at the end of the day interacting with the customers, you know, your customer service staff or the sales staff or whatever, you know. So getting their feedback, making them heard and coming up with ideas from them has to be a part of that process. And constantly being in touch with your customers and kind of making sure their feedback is taken in a way where, you know, solutions are built. 
build both of these pieces from both ends, then I think we have a very strong CX. Got it. I think that sounds like really good advice for anybody who's getting ready to start either CX or company. Mm-hmm. All right. Last question. What is your personal motto? My personal motto has always been do what's best for the customer, right? So being in the industry of market research, I always work in an organization where I say I'm someone who's shining shining light into the future, right? Because I'm telling you what the consumers want and I'm telling you how the consumers feel and you need to any decision making that you do should be built on the foundation of that feedback. Yeah, that's that's really how I've always looked at my work. Thank you for listening to the Happy Market Research Podcast. I'm Jamie Brazil. If you'd like to learn more about this show or our sponsors, please check out the show notes. Happy researching and have a great week.